Church, we're going to be starting a, a little, uh, short little ser- series um, that I've entitled A Necessary Conversation. You know, when someone comes up to you and says, uh, you know, I think it's necessary, we, we need to talk. You, you, you know, you know, you know it, it, it's, it's, it's never a pleasant conversation. But, it, but it, it, what the truth of the matter is, is in, in a lot of those necessary conversations, it, it, it starts out awkward. It starts out with tension. But if they are done correctly, it brings liberty, it brings freedom, it brings clarity, it, it actually causes um, um, two parties to, to get, be closer. And uh, in the church, in the church, I think there's a, there's a necessary conversation that needs to be had. Not just in this body, but throughout the church in in America, um, and that's unnecessary. The conversation is the big lie. There has there has been a big lie that has been told for the last fifty years. That has been told over and over again, in many different ways. In 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 many different points of view and all these things, this lie has been just given over and over and over again. It's been given to our young people. And its origin is demonic. We'll see this more next next week. But the things that we're talking about today are nothing new. It's it's been a it's been a demonic form of the of worship in the kingdom of darkness, going all the way back to to Solomon. This big lie. It offers freedom. It offers escape. It offers um, a way out. Of a, of, situ, of a situation without any consequences. But that's just it. It's, it's a lie. And it leaves, it leaves in its way the baggage, the scars, the heartache, both physical and, and, and mental, that has caused this nation to be divided in half because of the lie. You know, in John chapter eight forty four, it says, "You are you are of your father the devil, and and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Everything that is contrary." to the kingdom of God, to God's way of doing things, is nothing more than a lie from the pit of hell. In John chapter 10.10, it says that the thief only comes to kill and to destroy. The only reason that the lie comes is to, is to, to steal, to kill, and destroy. It offers hope. It offers 
um, escape. It, it an offers an answer. But its end, its true nature is to rob, to kill, and destroy. And Jesus is the one, it says, that came that we would have life and have it more abundantly. That's the nature. That's the nature. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is now no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, there are things that have been done to us, and there's things that we have done that we wish were not part of our story. Right? Am I the only one? Right? If, you know, if, 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 you're, if the book of your life was laid out on the coffee table and someone picked it up, you say, well, skip over that chapter. Right? We all have parts of our lives that we wish weren't there. And here's the issue. The enemy, the enemy likes to take those parts and use them to shame us. To use them to condemn us. To use them to isolate us. I want you to know something. When, when I was, I believe this is straight from the throne of God, but it's interesting that when people feel shame, when they feel condemned, they blame it on God. Or they blame it on the church. Or they blame it on those Christians. That God is the one that is causing them pain. That God is the one that is causing them shame. That God is the one that is condemning them. Those people that believe that do not know the Gospel. And, and the Lord just shared this with me. And, and, it, and it's just so clear. Have you, ever, have you ever walked out of a dark room into the sun? And it causes you to squint? Or just picture being in a cave or something and coming out into the full noon sun, bright, shining sun. It causes you to squint. What do we say? We say the sun is causing me to squint. The, the, the sun is blinding, blinding me. That is a lie. The sun is not doing that. Because if you stay out there for 10, 15 minutes, you're not, you're not squinting anymore. You're not blinded. It's not causing you uncomfort anymore. Why? You actually feel the warmth of the sun and you enjoy it and you can see the surroundings around you. You're no longer in darkness. The sun is not the one that caused the issue. The darkness is what caused it. And that is where condemnation comes from. Condemnation doesn't come from God. It is the enemy. It is the kingdom of darkness itself that is the condemner. That brings the shame. That brings the pain. That's the lie of the enemy. That you are bought into. It's not God that is the one causing you pain. It is sin itself that causes the pain. And God wants to deliver you from your pain. God wants to deliver you from your shame. God wants to deliver you from condemnation. God wants to make all things new. See, if you've been deceived by the big lie, 
of the pro-choice movement and you have had an abortion because of that lie, whether you chose it or someone else chose it for you, you need to hear this. Jesus is not in the business of condemnation. He is in the business of healing. He is in the business of healing and He is willing, more than willing, to heal you. There is not a sin that His death on the cross and His resurrection did not cover. Abortion is not the unpardonable sin. And Jesus is well able to turn our ashes into beauty. He is able to turn our darkest night into the dawn of a new day. There have been tens of millions of abortions since 1973. You know what this means? That there are tens of millions of women that have emotional and often physical pain, whether they acknowledge it or not. The guilt of how could I have done that? I can never forgive myself. How can God forgive me? Why didn't anybody tell me what it really was? I thought there was no other option. My boyfriend said I had to. These are the scars and the heartbreak that women hold on to for years and years and years as the enemy whispers shame into their ears and tells them they are alone and unforgivable. Grieving the loss and working through pain, especially the pain of taking your own baby's life can be a dreadful thought. That's why they, we, we, they tell themselves, isn't it, isn't it just better to keep it a secret? Keep it in the dark. But remember, the darkness is what causes the shame. Isn't numbing the feelings and moving on the best solution? It won't affect my life. Right? See, I wish the answer, I wish the answer could be a simple yes. That you could just move on with life, but it isn't. The truth is, like with any sin or any brokenness in our lives, if we don't work through it with the Lord Jesus Christ and a healthy Christian family, community, it will be a dark place in your soul that keeps popping up and bringing anxiety, doubt, anger, insecurity, rather than freedom, rather than forgiveness, joy and confidence in the love of God. Do not believe the lie any longer. Do not allow the lie to hold you in bondage. See, this is our responsibility. Our responsibility as a church is that we must show people how to approach the throne of grace with confidence so that they may receive mercy and grace 
to help for their time of need. For we are not loved by God for what we do. You, you understand that, church? We are not loved by God for what we do. Praise the Lord, right? That's a good place to say amen. That's freedom right there. He loves us because He created us in His image and He wants His abundant life for us. We are not saved by our good works. Thank the Lord. And in Christ Jesus, neither are we condemned for our bad works. Amen. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. That's the good news of the Gospel. Forgiveness is a powerful process that offers freedom from the past, present, and even future sins. All done by Jesus. His death on the cross and His resurrection. We are loved by God who created you and, he, and in Him we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. This is the good news of the Gospel. The world has lied to us, but God gives us the truth that sets us free. And that truth has a name, and His name is Jesus. This is the good news of the Gospel. The good news of the Gospel is no matter who you are or what your situation is, in Christ Jesus, you are loved. You are loved. You are forgiven. And you can receive new life. Amen? And that's the good news of the gospel. But the problem is, is in uncomfortable and necessary conversations, you've you got to look talk about the ugly side of it. The ugly side of the situation that the church, our nation, and our culture is facing. We have to debunk and we have to look at this lie that is being propagated to our young men and women And it's ugly. When you pull back the curtain, it's ugly. In Matthew 19, 14, it says, But Jesus said, Leave the little children alone, and do not forbid them to come to Me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. In 1973, January of 1973, the U.S. Supreme Court decided its infamous case now known as Roe v. Wade. The court justice ruled that states could not ban abortions prior to the um, viability of a child, which the court at that time determined because of our science hasn't caught up to truth, to be 24 to 28 weeks into the pregnancy. Today, because of medical advancements, that time frame has been shorter of the viability of, of, of a child um, because children born in that time frame have actually lived. With the overturning of Roe versus Wade recently in the Supreme Court and all the things that you see on television and commercials and on social media and all these different avenues, it has left a lot of people confused with what it actually means when the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. So with the Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade, this is what it means. It doesn't automatically mean that abortion is illegal. 
across America. Instead, the issue will be, is being sent back to the states, and each state needs to deter, determine its own laws regarding abortion. And here in, in Michigan, we have our proposal on, um, on our ballot this election cycle that will give people, the people of Michigan, an opportunity to choose to protect the most vulnerable in our society or to choose to protect or, or choose not to protect the innocent and vulnerable. What we're talking about is Proposal 3, in case you don't know. And if you believe in biblical or individual rights of a person, let alone being a Christian that desires a biblical worldview world for our society, then you need to vote with a resounding no on this proposal, this proposal of death and destruction. What is Proposal 3? Well, let's look at it. Let's look at what they're trying to do to our state's constitution. Here's a video. Hello, I'm Rebecca Masti, a policy analyst and attorney with the Michigan Catholic Conference. Together with numerous pro-women and pro-life organizations, we formed Citizens to Support Michigan Women and Children to defeat Proposal 3. So what is Proposal 3? Let me explain. Proposal 3 is an amendment to insert 323 words into our state constitution. It was crafted by a coalition of pro-abortion groups led by Planned Parenthood and the American Civil Liberties Union. It seeks to place unregulated abortion through the moment of birth into the Michigan Constitution. If this amendment were to pass, Michigan would become the abortion capital of the country and have one of the most permissive abortion laws in the world. When it comes to our Constitution, words matter. With Proposal 3's amendment, words really matter. For example, this proposal never uses the word adult to describe who would be impacted. It confers an explicit fundamental right to every individual without any age limit. The ballot proposal summary says the proposal would, quote, invalidate laws that conflict with this amendment. Parental consent would likely no longer be required for teenagers seeking an abortion. Many other laws would also be in jeopardy, including the state law that requires abortion clinics to be licensed and inspected to protect women's health and safety. Late-term abortions would be allowed because the proposal includes a vague mental health exception. The language allowing someone to aid or assist in an abortion likely negates the current requirement that only physicians may perform abortions. Disturbingly, the proposal's language could also prevent authorities from taking adverse action against someone that harms or even kills a woman during an abortion if she voluntarily consented. So as you see, words matter. This radical proposal even confers a constitutional right to sterilization for every individual. Invoking this constitutional right could allow a gender-confused teen to obtain sterilizing procedures without parental consent or even knowledge. I urge you to read the proposed constitutional amendment for yourself. You will see what many others are realizing, that it goes way beyond what Roe v. Wade ever permitted. Help us to protect women, children, and families by opposing this extreme amendment to the Michigan Constitution. Vote no on Proposal 3. Thank you. So as you can see, this proposal goes way past what Roe Ro versus Wade even had. 
and they're using deception, they're using lies, they're, they're, they're using emotional propaganda to, to shove this through so they can continue to, leave, to lead young women and men are involved in this. When I, when I, was, when I was a teenage young man, just, just shortly after getting out of high school, I was, I was in a car with, with three other men. And we were going to do what uh, ungodly young men do. We were going out looking for a good time. And uh, all of a sudden, in the back seat, one guy breaks his silence and says, today is the one-year anniversary for my girlfriend having an abortion. And to my surprise, these were my friends. And to my surprise, the other two gentlemen in the car with me both had girlfriends that had abortions. They weren't girlfriends anymore. They destroyed the relationship. And as a 20-something, being cool and, and uh, hard, by the, you know, hard by the world and stuff, to, to, to be in that car and hear those three young men, men tell their story and to be crying in that car, it forever marked me. And as much as, much as the world says that, you, that this is a woman's issue, that is a lie. It is a man and a woman's issue. Yes, the women are probably affected physically much more than the man is. But psychologically, both are left in the carnage of this life. And they're looking to increase that in our culture. The brokenness of those tens of millions of people in our culture that are carrying around the shame, the guilt, the con- no matter what they say, deep down inside we all know. And to carry that around, that is why it, 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 it's manifests so often in extreme anger, uncontrolled rage on this topic. It's because that's what's in them because of what the enemy has done. And they don't realize that the rage is not actually against those that are pro, for pro-life. The rage really isn't against the church. The rage isn't even against God. The rage is against the darkness. That when, they, when, when the reality of the choice comes to light, they can't stand the, how it blinds them. But for us as Christians, I mean, with that, with that many pe- people that have, have been 
abused by the pro-choice movement. The churches have people that have fell victim to that lie. And we need to be a place where those, that burden can be laid down and not picked up again. That we can pray for one another, encourage one another, and, and again, put our arms around each other and carry each other to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace in our help time of need. And one thing that the Bible does is it, 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 it distinguishes against crimes versus sins. You know that not all crimes are sins. If, they, if Daniel was told not to pray to God by the government, and he did it anyways, and he committed a crime, but he wasn't sinning, the Bible makes a distinction between crimes and sins. Crimes are against the government, while sins are against God. This explains why you can call the police if someone assaults you, or someone steals from you, but you can't call them. They were not going to respond if you call up and say that someone was unloving towards you, or someone is unforgiving. Right? That's the thing about God's laws. God's God's ways transcend and expect more from God's people than the laws of government do. If someone claims to be a Christian, as our president Joe Biden does, they're not only to obey the laws of government, but they're also to obey God. Of all the Ten Commandments, Number six is the only one that our nation has codified as law. Thou shalt not murder. The Constitution is to protect every citizen's inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You cannot have freedom and you cannot have a pursuit of happiness if you are denied life. Those that preach the big lie says it's not a life. And baby, no matter, no matter what you choose to call it, don't you, don't you love how they always change the name? Words mean things. Words matter, right? We just heard that. Words matter. And they choose what we call these things. And, and, and if it's a baby no matter what you choose to call it. it it's a living life. If it wasn't a living life, then why would you have to kill it? And if left unharmed, what will that life continue to grow into? A human. It was a human from conception, and it continues to grow into a human. Right? A baby, then it turns into a human baby, and then it turns into a it grows into a young woman or a young man or a little boy and a little girl. And if left alone and, and, and kept, kept growing from conception, um, it becomes an per, a, a, a adult person. Because we are not one thing and then become something else. Right? You're not one thing and then all of a sudden you become a human. You're not, you're not one thing and all of a sudden you change and now you become a person. You are one thing from the very 
conception. From the very first spark, we are fearfully and wonderfully made by our Heavenly Father. And as humans in the United States, we have rights. You have, you have rights, but our rights can't infringe on the rights of another person. Right? My history teacher taught me that. That you have rights. You can get angry. You have the right to get angry. But as soon as your fist touches another person's nose, your rights end and theirs begin. The scientific truth is that a, the death of a fetus is a real death. And it is because of this lie countless women and men struggle daily with the weight of that truth, no matter what culture may tell them. In Psalms 139, verse 13, it says, For you created my innermost parts. You have woven me together, woven me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you because I am awesomely and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. So this leads us to an old but important question. When does life begin? When does life begin? Because human beings have rights. If an unborn child is a person, then they have a right not to have their life taken. Correct? So this question is incredibly significant. Scientifically and medically, it is beyond debate that human life begins at conception. From the initial joining of the sperm and egg, the tiny baby is alive, distinct from its mother, and living and growing as a human being. The unified determination of, of the scientific and medical uh, community is as follows. The zygote is composed of human DNA and other human molecules. So its nature is undeniably human and not some other species. The DNA includes a complete design guiding not only early development, but every um, hereditary attributes that will appear in childhood and adulthood from hair, sex, eye color to personality traits. The new human zygote has a genetic composition that is absolutely unique to itself. Different from any other human that has ever existed. Including that of its mother. Thus disproving the claim that, it is a, that what is involved in abortion is merely a woman's, woman and her body. It is also quite clear that the earliest human Embryo is biologically alive. It fulfills the four criteria needed to establish biological life, which is metabolism, growth, uh, reaction to stimuli, and reproduction. Finally, in a human zygote, merely, uh, merely a new is, is a human zygote merely a new kind of cell, or is it a human uh, organism that is being that is that is a human being. Scientists define an organism, organism as a complete, complex structure of uh, interdependent elements 
constituted to carry out the activities of life separately functioning but mutually dependent organs. A human zygote meets the definition with ease. Once formed, it, initiate, it initiates a complex sequence of events to ready it for, for continued development and growth. The zygote acts immediately and decisively to initiate a program of development that will, if uninterrupted by accident, disease, or external intervention, proceed seamlessly through the formation of the definitive body, birth, childhood, adolescence, maturity, aging, ending with death. This coordinated behavior is the very hallmark of what it is to be an organism. Even in your death, you still remain human. Archaeologists, when they do a dig and they find the remains, they find the remains of what? A human. Human remains. Even when you're dead, you actually have more rights in your grave than you do in the womb. People go to jail for grave robbery or um, destruct, destructive of grave sites and those things. Because you're human. The issue of abortion is not much of a medical issue at all. Well, it's not, nor is it a, a scientific issue, but it's actually a political agenda. When, uh, when Roe versus Wade was uh, um, overturned, 49 Democrat senators voted to support the support of the Women's Health Protection Act of 2022 that supported abortion up to birth nationwide. And this is exactly what Proposal 3 is trying to do in Michigan. Less than a month after that vote on the Women's Health Protection Act of 2022 to extend abortion to the time of birth, the city of New York kept in place a mask mandate requiring children five and under to wear a mask in preschools and care centers to protect against COVID-19. So you can kill your kid up to birth, but five and under have to wear a mask because of COVID-19. Globally, this is globally, only 0.4% of people who died with COVID-19, not with COVID-19, not of COVID-19, were children. So they celebrate killing the, a viable child but if they're, born, if they're born, then we need to cover them with masks because they're too precious to risk even being getting a flu that will not likely harm them or kill them. That's what I mean. Science and the, and the medical field have nothing to do with this. It's all political, politically driven, and irrational. These are irrational political conclusions and not rational medical or scientific decisions. In Matthew ch chapter 6, verse 26, it says, Look at the birds of the sky. They do not sow, nor do they reap, or nor do they gather crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? Jesus is asking a question here. 
And when Jesus asked this question, during the people that heard Jesus actually say this, it was common sense. They, they, they wouldn't they want have thought to themselves, well, are we? Are, are we more important than birds? It was a resounding yes. It was, it was common sense that yes, humans are more important than animals. But today, in our screwed up culture, people struggle with this question. I have a question for you. Are you more important than they? Are you more important than animals? Yes, you are. You are more important than animals. And as we just heard, words matter. And I understand. I understand for the love of a pet. I'm going to get people mad at me here today. Because you're, you're not going to hear me. You're going to be moved by your emotions. I understand loving an animal. I lo- understand loving a pet. I have had pets. Right? But they were never a family member. Words matter. Words matter. You know, just this is just 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 me thinking and and it, if someone came to me and says you have to choose one of your children to die my reaction would be how about me how about me if someone said came to you and said one of your, you you have to choose one of your pets to die you would not say, how about me? You would throw yourself in front of a car to save your child, but you would not, or your wife, but you would, I hope you would. <laughs> but you might be heartbroken and, and cry as you've seen your animal get hit by a car. Words matter. Words matter. And here in the United States, we have elevated the value of a life of an animal and devalued the life of our fellow men and women. Let's, let's look at some of the laws concerning our furry friends. In most U.S. states, you, you can kill your pet to relieve their pain under specific circumstances. If you meet two criteria, failure to comply with these laws that protect against animal cruelty can result in jail time, probation, and fines. So here's the criteria. One, you can kill your pet. You know you're going to talk about this day at church. (laughs) You can kill your pet if it is so injured or sick that it is suffering and near death. However, unlike a baby, it is illegal to kill your pet for no reason at all. It's illegal to kill your animal for no reason at all. 
Two, you can kill your pet if they are not fit for living. Examples would include severe brain damage or a pet at risk of losing multiple limbs or otherwise unable to functionally live. Unlike an abortion, which a minor can receive without parental consent in many states, most owners consult with a veterinarian before determining if an animal is near death or unfit for living a long and healthy life. So we have to go to a physician, a veterinarian, with our animal, but our children, minors, can make these, these decisions all on their own. To further show that life of a pet is worth more than the life of a child, if your dog could have a decent standard of living for several years, you can't kill them. Killing a healthy and happy animal yourself is always considered illegal. Let's say your dog is so sick that you need to kill them. The law generally requires that A, it be done in a humane way. Use, uh, B, use a way that is painless, fast, and effective. Tragically, the same cannot be said for our unborn children. To protect sacred life of pets, the Animal Veterinarian Medical Association, the AVMA, you guys know them, has guidelines for the euthanasia of animals. In, this, in their guidelines on page 121, it, it has a thoughtful, extensive, and compassionate set of guidelines for everything from dogs to cats, as well as bunnies, rats, and other animals. Consider the following. The goal as veterinarians and human beings, it is our responsibility to ensure that if an animal's life is to be taken, it is done with the highest degree of respect and with the emphasis on making the death as painless and, and distress-free as possible because the AVMA does not take the death of non-human animals lightly. How altogether sick is it that we live in a world that does this for our pets? And I'm not saying we shunt. Hear me, I'm not saying any of that is wrong. But we do this for our pets, but allows the gruesome, murderous procedures of our kids. This is the ugly truth of the big lie of the pro-choice movement. Let's take a deep breath now and look at the methods of abortion so you can understand how we kill our kids. And you might think, this is uncomfortable. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to say it. But we have to shine light on the darkness or the lie continues to grow. Suction aspiration. This is a procedure is used in 80% of abortions up to the 12th week of pregnancy. The month of uh, the mouth of the cervix is dilated. A hollow tube with a knife-like edge tip is inserted into the womb. A suction of force 28 times stronger than a vacuum cleaner literally tears the developing baby to pieces and sucks the remains into a container. 
Consider that to how we euthanize our animals. Dilation and shuratas. Dilation and shuratas, commonly called a DNC, is a procedure which involves dilating the cervix with a series of instruments to allow the, uh, the insertion of a surette, a loop-shaped knife, into the womb. The instrument is used to scrape the placenta from the uterus and then cut the baby apart. The pieces are then drawn through, through the cervix. The tiny baby must be reassembled by the attending nurse to make sure all, all parts um, not, that no parts remain in the womb to cause infection. Saline injection. Saline injection, also known as salt poisoning, is an abortion procedure which involves removing some of the amniotic fluid surrounding the baby and replacing it with a toxic saline solution. The baby then breathes and swallows the solution. In one or two hours, the unborn child dies from salt poisoning, dehydration, and hemorrhaging. The mother goes into labor about 24 hours later and delivers the dead baby or dying baby. Hysteromony. During the last three months of pregnancy, abortions are performed by hysteronomy, which involves opening the womb surgically and removing the baby as in a cesarean section. However, the purpose of this procedure is to end the infant's life instead of being cared for. The baby is wrapped in a blanket and set aside and allowed to die. Prostagladin. Prostagladin. Prostaglandin hormones are injected into the womb or released in the uh, vaginal uh, as a juvenile <laughs> suppository, um, cause the uterus to contract, uh, contract and deliver the child prematurely, uh, too, too young to survive. A saline solution is sometimes injected first, killing the baby before birth in order to make the procedure less distressful for the mother and the medical staff. So now the question that we need to ask is, does the unborn feel pain? Does the unborn feel pain during these abortion procedures? Again, let me again remind you that we are, we, the goal of us discussing these things has nothing to do with individuals. You are loved by God. It has to do with us destroying these demonic strongholds on our nation and shining lie into this lie of the pro-choice movement. So the answer to, does the baby feel pain? Yes, it does. Dr. A.W. Lilly, a world-renowned professor of fetal psychology at the National Women's Hospital in Auckland, New Zealand, has shown that an unborn child can feel pain and is sensitive to touch, light, and heat, and noise as early as 11 weeks after conception. They literally did a, a uh, experiment, I guess you'd call it, where they would sound a 
they'd have a beep next to the to the mother, and then they would poke the baby with a needle, and that baby would contract in pain. And they did that a couple times, and eventually all they did is go give the beep, and the baby would contract. This is the ugly truth of the demonic lie of abortion. But the truth is, is this is what we know down deep inside. But we're told that it's not true. It is a big lie from the father of lies that so many have believed and now are living with the weight and the consequence of, of believing that lie day in and day out. And again, that pain, that shame, that condemnation is not from your loving Heavenly Father. It is from the enemy himself to keep you in bondage, to keep you in control, to keep you in the dark, to keep you on his side. Your Heavenly Father waits for you with open eyes, eyes and open arms, with redemption in his eyes. But here's the thing. Abortion is not the problem in the United States. The, abortion is not the problem. Abortion is a fruit. Abortion is a fruit that is grown on a poisonous tree. And that is another conversation that we... It's necessary that we have, and we're going to have that conversation next week. The answer to abortion really isn't laws. It's changing hearts and creating a biblical worldview for everything. It has to do with God, godliness and life. And next week we're going to look at that poisonous tree that has been growing and growing for centuries that produces the fruit of abortion in our culture. So, this was a necessary conversation. But I really hope that you as a church body, you hear my compassion and also my hope for those that have found themselves in that big lie. And to know that we as a church body reach out with compassion, with love, with forgiveness, with encouragement. Again, I love that imagery of a person arm in arm with someone taking him to the throne of grace to find mercy and, 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 and God's empowerment in our time, time of need. To no longer live in darkness, to no longer live under guilt and shame, 
to no longer have that burden, to no longer have that anger, but to be set free. And we as a church, we need to be those people. You, 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 you will meet those people in your daily life. You will have family members. You will have co-workers. You will have, you, you will have uh, your children's friends that have experienced things like this. And you need to be a place of refuge, an oasis of love, an atmosphere of grace. But at the same time, as we embrace those that have been destroyed by this lie, we stand up with righteous indignation and righteous anger against the demonic lie that has brought so many people to this place. Amen? Amen. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank You we thank You that we are created by our loving Heavenly Father. We are fearfully and wonderfully created. We have been created in Your image. And, and it's the goal of Satan to rob, kill, and destroy. It's the goal of Satan to mar the image of God. It's the, image, it's the lie of Satan to mock God. The one and only Son that came and laid down His life for us all by stealing and killing our own children. Heavenly Father, we thank You that the Gospel proclaims that anything that the enemy has done to rob, to kill, to destroy in our life, that You have come to give us life and give us life to the full. There is no sin. There is no choice. There is no experience that we've had in our life that could ever separate us from the love of God. Christ, with open arms, from the cross, says, you are welcome in my Father's home. You are welcome, daughter of God. You are welcome, son of God. And no weapon that was formed against you will prosper. Father, we thank you for that great grace that we've all received, that we all need. And it's in Him, in Jesus, that we live, we move, and we have our being. We just love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karis.com.